Isn't it somewhat comforting to know that you're not the only one that has days like that? <laughs> we all have days like that. We've all had them in the past and we'll have them again. You wake up with a good outlook and you feel good. You got a good plan and then stuff happens. The scenario we saw isn't just funny and it's not an anomaly and it doesn't just happen to some people, it's life. The question isn't how can I eliminate unexpected challenges from everything that might happen to me because that's just silly and it's not possible. The real question is how can I position what's in here to handle what happens, whatever happens out there? And that's what this series is about that we've been in for the last few weeks. We've been trying to go deeper and, and take a more internal look more than just trying to fix behavior, we've been trying to go to a soul level and look at the characteristics that God wants to change about who I am as a person on the inside. Jesus was adamant about this in all of his teaching that the heart is the source of all those other things, behavior and action and the way we talk and, and the words that we use. And so, if you want to be a better fill-in-the-blank, and I know that we all do, if you want to be a better parent, if you want to be a better husband or wife or son or daughter or friend, if you want to be a better follower of Jesus, if you just want to be a better person, then focusing on technique, that's far less effective than focusing on character. Who do you think you are? And we launched this series on January the 5th, and we looked at the idea of identity. Now, who gets to decide who you are in the first place? And then we moved to talking about developing the character of humility, not just behaving like a humble person, but becoming a humble person. What does that look like? What does it mean? And then we moved from there. Last Sunday, we learned about empathy, not just as a technique, but as a character trait. And today, we're talking about positivity. How can I turn something on the inside and change the way that I think? How, how can we handle the challenges and the unexpected obstacles and the negative forces that come against us and we know that they're going to come against us? How can I do that with an internal compass that doesn't give in to all the pessimistic, uh, pessimistic energy around me, around us. Because you might not know this, psychologists say that we on average have 10,000 thoughts in a day. And if, I don't know, 80% of them are negative, then we're gonna be self-fulfilling prophecies. Misery is going to be our middle name. We're gonna live what's inside of us. Even the Bible confirms this. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Another proverb says, as a person thinks in his head, so is he. So <clears throat> I'm going to give you some practical help today. When we launched this series on the 5th of January, everybody got this simple little booklet. If you don't have one, you can still get some when you leave today. If you got yours or if there's one around you, uh, we, we just developed a simple page for each, each week so that we could jot, jot down some thoughts and maybe some scriptures as we go. Of course, 
The, the work that we do on Sundays is housed on our website, so you can always go back and, and watch it again. Today, though, we're on page five. And by the way, at the back of this book it is a, sort of a guide for our daily worship. We are live online on Facebook every morning, Monday to Friday at 7.30, to help us kick off our day with a little time with God in wor- uh, worship and in prayer and a little devotional thought. It's 15 minutes. It helps us sort of change the course of the outlook of our day. Let me encourage you to be a part of that. And there's a guide for that in the back of that book, too. But today, on page five, I want us to think through some of this. See, we don't think about how we think. That's not not our our first place. We think about how we act. We think about how we talk. We think about how we behave. We think about how we look. We think about how others perceive us. But we don't think about how we think. I mean, can you imagine a boss saying to an employee, your results are outstanding. You knocked it out of the park. You have added untold value to this organization. But I don't like how you think, so you're fired. Can you imagine a parent saying to a child, don't you think about me like that? We don't spend a lot of energy thinking about how we think, and yet inherently we know that how we think ultimately shapes how we talk, how we act, how we behave, how we look, how we treat other people, All of it comes from how we think. So when it comes to becoming a positive person, the root conversation has to focus on the root cause, which is our thoughts. It's time to think about how we think. And God actually gave us a recipe. The Bible speaks a lot about this, about how we shape our thinking, but I think there's one verse in the Bible that gives us sort of a formula, if you will, that will help us shape our thoughts so that we can become the people God wants us to be, so that we can be positive even when what's happening around us is not positive. And this is true for all of us. We all have things that are happening around us that are not positive. So this is Philippians 4, 8, one verse of Scripture, and it goes like this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I know that's a lot of scripture. I'm going to ask you if you would, at every one of our campuses, if you'll read this out loud with me right now, we're going to read it together. Here we go. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This command right here, this line, think about such things. God is actually teaching us something through the pages of the Bible that most of us never think about, and that is that we get to control what we think about. Most of us get lost in our minds, and we say, well, I just can't help it. My mind just goes here. My mind just goes there. We know we can control our actions, or at least sometimes we know that, but we don't usually consider that we can control our thoughts. But God is telling us right here, commanding us to dwell our thoughts, to focus our minds on things that have all of these qualities. And implied in the command to think about these things is that we are to not focus on things that are the opposite of these qualities. And it doesn't mean you should ignore the other thoughts. It's not saying never think about them, but it is saying that they can't be the focus. They can't be the 80% of your thought. I don't know what percentage it should be, but it should be the small end. So if it is not true, I'm not going to dwell on it. 
If it is not right, I am not going to allow my mind to hang out there. If it's not pure, I'm not going to spend a bunch of thought energy on it. What's interesting here is that the teaching in this verse doesn't focus on the things that we shouldn't think about. It's all positive. If it is true, think about such things. If it is noble, it doesn't, th- it doesn't have a whole list that comes behind this that's the opposite and says, don't think about these things. Because, because if, if we told you not to think about something, it would plant the very seed in your head for the thing you're not supposed to think about, right? I mean, if you told me, if you said, hey, Brian, uh, if somebody came into the offices, you know, uh, during the week and said, hey, Brian, uh, there is, I just put a dozen hot Krispy Kreme donuts in the kitchen, but they're not for you, so don't think about it. Like, I don't know what would happen. We, we might end up in the parking lot in the spirit of Christian love. I'm just saying, because, because why would you even do that to me? It's like torture. I wasn't thinking about it already. Don't tell me not to think about it. You've just accomplished the opposite, the total opposite of the thing you set out to do. And now I'm focused on what I can't have, which is inherently negative. So what this text does is instead of saying, stop thinking about what's not true, stop thinking about what's not noble, instead of saying, stop your mind, the text tells us to redirect your mind. It tells you what you're supposed to think about. Think about what is true. And by thinking about what is true, you will necessarily not be thinking about what's not true. Think about what's noble or what's right. And by thinking about those things, you will necessarily not be thinking about the opposite because you and I, we lie to ourselves every day. In our culture, we, are, we fill our world with this lie and the lie says we're good at multitasking. We can think about what's true and what's not true at the same time. But that is not true. Pardon the pun. That is not true. You are, we are awful. Every study proves this. Every study says we think we're good at multitasking, but we're terrible at it. I'll confess to you something I did a few years ago that I stopped doing after this moment. I, I like many of you, I tried to get a lot of stuff done, and I, I tried to multitask. I was on the phone with somebody who was telling me something they were going through while I was trying to get stuff done on the computer at the same time. And I got caught. Uh, they, it wasn't hard to figure out that I had no idea what they were just saying. And I thought to myself, this is bad stewardship. You owe this person to focus on them. You're not, you got to stop this. So to the best of my ability, I've tried to stop multitasking because we ain't good at it. And if you think you're good at it, all the studies show that you would be the only human being in the world really that good at it. So see, by, by telling us to focus on this, we can't really multitask and focus on the opposite at the same time. If you will focus your mind here, you will find that some outward behaviors actually begin to change just because of what you're thinking about. As a result of the inward energy being given to that which is good instead of that which is not. Whatever is true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about, dwell on, focus your mind on those things. So let me just help you. There's a lot to unpack here. We're not going to be able to get to it all. I hope what this will do is maybe get you to pull this up and keep it with you and ponder it and pray about it and let God just infect your soul with the truth here. Let me just give you a couple of ways that I uh, do this. I think that uh, one of the mantras I have in my life is I will trust God to do what I cannot. I'm going to tie this together with the scripture in just a second, but I will trust God to do what I cannot. Would you say that out loud with me everywhere? 
I will trust God to do what I cannot. This is really important because the first phrase in Philippians 4.8 says, whatever is true. And that's something I think a lot of people struggle with because, because, here's why. Everybody would agree, oh yeah, of course, of course I'm going to get along with what's true. But see, we might agree in theory that God has the power to run the world, but we worry like we do. We might agree in theory that God has the power to run the world, but we worry like we run the world. And in my experience, and that's not true, it's not true that you run the world. So in my experience, this is a chronic problem, and it is especially, it's ironic that it's especially true with people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Because when we worry like the world depends on us, which is inherently negative, we are focusing on our our thoughts, we're focusing our minds on something that isn't true. We have to stop being surprised when trouble comes as Christ followers. Trouble does come. It's going to come. Jesus said it was going to come. He told his followers they were going to have trouble. But see, positivity is rooted not in the assumption that life is hard, but in the assurance that God is good. Positivity is rooted not in the assumption that life is hard, but in the assurance that God is good. Sometimes we even say that. We have this little saying in church life, not just our church, but lots of churches, and somebody will smile and they'll say, God is good, and somebody will respond and say, all the time. We say it, we believe it, we smile at it, but we don't always live like it. See, you can develop this inside of you, this idea that God is good. That is true. Even, what's, even when circumstances around me are not good, this is a resolve. I can say, this thing that's happening to me or with me or that I did or whatever, this thing is bad, but God is good. And what I'm saying is, when, when, I'm, when I say that in my life, what I'm really saying is, God's goodness is better than whatever bad this is in front of me. So when somebody you love is dying or has died, Positivity does not deny our grief. It's just bigger than our grief. It it assures us that that God made a provision that goes beyond this life that we're living here. God gave me life this morning. He gave us life this morning. And we know that at some point in time, I'm going to stop breathing, but life doesn't have to end because God made a way for this life and for the life that comes after. And I trust him with both. That's what positivity means. It doesn't mean denying that what's happening around us is bad. It's just acknowledging that God's goodness is bigger than that. And by focusing my thoughts on the grander reach of of God's goodness, that's a characteristic that God is trying to develop inside of me that I think he wants to develop inside of all of us. See, when when worry begins to creep in about a, a potential future event, we start, we are tempted to give into a lie that focuses on something that's not true, which is that we can control the future. Every parent in this room can relate to worrying about their kids. We worry about them when they're little. We worry about them when they grow up. We worry about them long after they grow up. We worry about everything. We worry about their safety and their happiness and their choices. If we let it, we will worry about everything that happens in the lives, in the lives of our, our kids, little and grown alike. But there is a better way. We can actually dwell our minds on what is true. God is bigger than I am. And no disrespect to 
many of the great parents in our church, but God's a better parent than I am, and he's a better parent than you are. He knows the future. And, and God is God, and I am not. So when I start to worry, I'm giving in to something that isn't true. Namely, I, don't, I can't control all these outcomes. So I have a, a thing that I've developed, and maybe it'll be helpful for you. It's a question that I ask when I begin to worry. And this question is, have I done all I can do? Have I done all I can do? So if it, let's say that something happens and I ask this question, and if the answer is no, no, I haven't done all I can do about this situation, there's something else I can do, then I take action. I make the decision, whatever it is, and I, and I, I execute it. And, but once, and I come back, then I'll come back and I say, okay, I did that. Have I done all I can? If there's anything else, I go do that. But once I get to the place where I say, have I done all I can? I'm really worried or anxious about this. Have I done all I can? Once the answer is honestly yes, I actually put worry in a timeout. Sometimes I'll say this out loud. Sometimes I will, I will actually talk out loud. If you ever see me do this, you'll be like, yep, he's lost his mind. We already knew that, but... He's, he's definitely gone over the edge. But I, I, this is not natural to me, so I have to tell myself what is true. What is true is that God has the future in his hand, not me. I can't control all these outcomes. I have to trust God, and God is good, even though what's happening to me is not good. So have I done all I can? Yes, I've done all I can do. Now I'm going to put worry in a timeout. I'll say out loud, you've had your time. I'm not going to think about that anymore. I am done thinking about that, and now I'm just going to thank God that he's got it from here that it all doesn't depend on me. You wanna know why that matters? Because that's what's true. God has it from here. And, and if I start to worry again, I might come back and ask the question, all right, let's, let's go back. Maybe, maybe something's changed. Have I done all I can do? Once the answer is yes, I say to worry, I'm not, I'm not gonna give you any more time. I'm not gonna give you any more of my mental energy because I have done all I can. And the rest of it is just going to hurt me and hurt people around me, and it lives into something that's not true. You can apply this to almost everything you worry about, almost everything you're anxious about by focusing on what's true. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I had something happen to me recently. It was awful. I dropped the ball uh, with something I was supposed to do for somebody else. And if you've ever done that, where you told somebody you're gonna do something and then you didn't and they confronted you about it, and you just feel awful. And this was kind of a big deal. I made somebody a promise and I forgot, and, and it, it was important, and man, once I've realized it, once I found out, I just wanted to crawl under a rock. I just wanted to buy a plane ticket to nowhere and disappear. And uh, I was away with Susan, we were celebrating our anniversary, and, and of course she knew about it, uh, and at the same time I found out, and I was just a wreck, and she knew I was a wreck. But where something like that in my past would have consumed me for a month, I mean, I would have just been a wreck for, uh, for weeks, it, a long time. I was able to deal with this uh, emotionally within a few hours. And I started like this. Uh, I, okay, have I done all I can do? And there's a list of stuff. If you do something that hurts somebody else or, or drop a ball or neglect them or whatever, there are things you're supposed to do. Like, sincerely apologize. And I mean, I, I, I groveled with this person. I, I just cannot tell you how awful I feel. I'm so sorry. Uh, have I done everything I can to remedy it and make it right? Are there some steps I can do to fix it? And then from there, I say, and so I answer those questions. And then from there, I say, okay, are there mechanisms I need to put in place in my life 
to keep this from happening again. There's some tools I can employ so that this, so I don't do this to somebody else, okay? At every step of the way, I keep coming back. Have I done all I can do? Have I done all I can do? And once the answer in this situation that, that I'm telling you about, once, once the answer was yes, there's one more step for me that's just personal to me. It probably doesn't apply to, to everybody. But uh, when I really have screwed up, I, I have to call some, some friend and, and just kind of verbally get it out. And of course, I told Susan, but then I called a friend. And I don't know if you've ever gotten one of these calls, but if you're on the receiving end, they're pretty cool because it goes like this. Somebody will call some friend and say, hey, man, you think you're an idiot. Let me tell you what I just did. And uh, so then you go through the process and you tell them all about it. And I told them all about it. And, and I felt a little better after I hung the phone up. And then I come back again. Have I done all I can? And finally, once I go through all of that, I focus on what's true. And the truth is, I can trust God. I can trust God that he is bigger than my mistakes, he's bigger than my failures, he's bigger than my worst sin, and he's, that is true for, for you too. I trust God that he can make something good out of something bad, even when I'm the culprit of what was bad. Some people just dwell, they just worry themselves sick over stuff they can't control. And, and then, some people just let that move, let that slide them into just becoming a generally negative person. And we become negative when we focus on negative things and we don't focus on what is true. That even if it's bad, even if the negative thing you're talking about is true, God's bigger than that. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like this. Somebody who can turn a diamond in the rough into a disaster in the making. You tell them you win the lottery, you just, yeah, I just won the lottery. They tell you how much your taxes are gonna be now. You announce that you're engaged to be married and they remind you how many marriages end in divorce. The doctor says he's optimistic about the future. They tell you how many times doctors are wrong. You buy a brand new house, they just point out every flaw in it. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like that. It's, that, it's hard to be around a person like that. And, and the question that you wanna ask is, do I really wanna be that kind of person? Of course, everybody would say no, but most people who are chronically negative don't know that they are. Many people like this kind of excuse away their negativity by saying, well, I want to be a realistic person. I don't want to go through life with rose-colored glasses and, and just pretend everything is fine when everything is not fine. But everything, everything might not be fine according to your plan. But if God is good, then life is good even when circumstances are not. I can claim that as truth. And the truth is that if you're negative all the time, you're not living into what is true, and you're not just dragging yourself down, you're dragging everybody else around you too. So we have to focus on what's ultimately true, that the world may be broken, but Jesus makes me whole. That is true. That things may be bad, but God is always good. That is true. That my life might not be perfect, but God's grace always is. That is true. So I'm gonna dwell on those things. I will dwell on what's positive before I think about what's not. This is a rule of life I've put into place for me that I, I'm, I think I follow most of the time. I get better at it all the time. I, I, I want to dwell on what's positive before I, before I think about what's not. And this goes with the text because Philippians 4.8 also says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. We should focus our minds on what is excellent and praiseworthy, good, right. 
I'm going to show you how I applied this to my life recently in a big, big way. It's going to take a second for me to get there. So I'm going to ask you to stay with me. And you're going to wonder uh, in just a minute or two what in the world this has to do with positivity. But if you just give me a little leeway, I'll show you. And I'll show you how you can apply this to your life too. There is a huge team of people that make Sundays happen here at PCC. Literally hundreds of people who work from guest services to safety folks and technical people and facilities folks and people who craft what happens on our platforms on Sunday mornings and kids and I mean all of it. It's a lot. And I'm not ashamed to say that those of us who are responsible for helping make our church happen are, we're our own worst critics. And I want to be that way. We desperately want to uh, to create an experience for you that is free from distractions so that you and your family and your friends that you invite to church can connect with God in the deepest way we could possibly provide for you. So what that means is that when you're headed home and while you're enjoying a Sunday nap or watching a playoff game or a golf match or a family meal together, we are picking apart what just happened. We believe, I believe strongly that excellence honors God and inspires people, and so we want to be excellent. Why would we give God anything less than our best? So after Sunday is over, we spend the next six days fixing stuff, everything that didn't work. And we, we map it out. You know, that transition was sloppy, and it was awkward and weird, and, and the mic didn't work, and, and the transmission to one of our campuses failed in the middle of the thing, and, and somebody missed a guitar lick, and, and how come the computer froze, and a thousand things that you may never see, but we never miss. We, we see it all. And so Sunday, while you are mostly reflecting, I hope, on how you connected with God that day, we are firing off explosions of negativity. That's been our thing. Dozens of emails used to cross paths on starting on Sunday about 1230. I mean, I mean somebody, somebody would be backstage like right now firing off an email about f filled with all of the thousands of things we didn't get right. Then on our platforms on Sunday at every one of our campuses as you're exiting the parking lot, we would gather in small circles lamenting all of our failures. And I realized a few months ago, I thought, this is a violation of something we say we believe. We've, the scripture tells us that we should focus our minds and our thoughts on what is excellent and praiseworthy. It is true that God is bigger than our mistakes, but we're not living into truth and we're not focusing on what's excellent and praiseworthy. It's not that the other things shouldn't be addressed. It's not that we should ignore all that other stuff because we ought to be getting better, but our shortcomings cannot come before God's glory. God gets glorified here. And we just skipped over that truth. He gets glorified in spite of our efforts or because of our efforts. It makes little difference to me or to God. The central question has to be this. Did we get the name of Jesus in front of people today? Did we give people a chance to authentically worship God today? Did we show people what it looks like to love God today? Did we honor God today? We weren't asking any of those questions. We were just firing off negativity, focusing on everything we didn't get right. So I did something I rarely do. I issued an edict. I sort of signed an executive order. And I created a griping freeze on Sundays at PCC. 
from, this, from that day, the day I issued that edict, from that day forward, we were going to celebrate every Sunday, all day on Sunday. There would be no complaining, no griping, no naming our failures and our shortcomings, no talk about how we could have been better. We're going to do that on Monday morning. Starts early, by the way. And we can do that all the week till Saturday. But once church is over on Sunday, we celebrate. That's it. That's all of it. Because I want to think first on what is excellent and praiseworthy. Now what happens is emails still go out. We're still sending texts, but all of it is, man, let me tell you what happened today. Let me tell you about this conversation I had today. Let me tell you about somebody who met Jesus today. Let me tell you about somebody who took a step towards God today. Let me tell you what happened today that was good and excellent and praiseworthy. It's something different happening in here because of our starting place, because what we dwell our minds and our thoughts on, and none of this is to the exclusion of the things that need to be addressed, but one comes before the other. Now to you, in your life, you can apply this in every area, with your spouse, with your kids, with your employees, with your boss, with the organization that you're a part of, with the sports team that your kids play on, you can do this in every area of, of your life. When your go-to position is to first focus on whatever the person standing in front of you got wrong, you will not be sowing this key characteristic into your life that God wants you to have. He wants you to focus your thoughts, at least first, on what is excellent and praiseworthy. When Jesus confronted people who were, had some kind of sin in their life, he didn't start out talking about what they did wrong. He built people up, speaking truth. He pointed to what he saw that was excellent and praiseworthy before he talked about what wasn't right. You and I, we ought to follow the lead of Jesus here and in every area. So make it a practice. When some, something comes to your mind that, that isn't right uh, with your kid, at school, at work, with a relationship, in your marriage, whatever it is, when something comes to your mind that's initially like, I, I need to address this, I want you to ask this question first. What is right here? Before I talk about what's wrong, what is right? What did this person do well? Can I name a recent win? What is, where do I see excellence and, and something that's praiseworthy happening? And I'm going to start there. And I think you can start there. I think you should start there. And when you do that, when you begin focusing your mind and your thoughts on what's excellent and praiseworthy, something will happen inside of you. And it'll go way beyond this exercise. Eventually, it'll become second nature because God did something in here that affected what happened out here. You become more the person God wants you to be. There is so much more to say about this. As I dug in, I thought, you know, we could, we could do a whole series on this one verse. Maybe we will sometime. But for now, let me just tell you, this week I did what I do every week. We did a follow-up video. I did it uh, for you and some questions that I just can't encourage you enough to go get. It'll be, it's on our website. And you can do it by yourself. You could do it with your a family, your spouse, your kids, whatever. Uh, in my opinion, the best place to do this is small group. 
and we're getting ready to kick off a new season of small group, you should get in a small group because what it'll do is surround you with people who are trying to focus on what is right, pure, uh, uh, admirable, praiseworthy, excellent, beautiful. That's where we're doing life together with that common goal in mind. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So right now, we wanna, I wanna teach you a song. It's a song that might be new to many of us, and, or, or you may have heard it, but perhaps today it'll take on a brand new meaning. See, positivity is not denial. Hear me say that. There are forces in the world that are constantly pulling us towards that which is not true and not right and not pure. All the news is negative. In our human brokenness, we are pathologically drawn to disaster, somehow mesmerized by bad news. But God wants you and me to be a light in the darkness, not a party to it. So let's learn this new mantra. There's a chorus to this song, and it goes like this. When my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. I've decided I'm not giving up. You won't give up on me. You won't give up on me. Now, I know everybody's not a singer. It's okay because you're not singing for me and you're not singing for the person next to you. What I'm gonna ask you to do at every one of our campuses, I'm gonna ask you to stand up with me now. And we're gonna, we're gonna sing this, this chorus together before we kind of catch the groove of the whole tune. So I want you to sing it with me, okay? Here we go. When my mind says I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. I've decided I'm not giving up. You won't give up on me. You won't give up on me. See, here's what we face. Our minds tell us that we're not good. Our minds tell us that everything around us is not good. And yet we're called to focus our thoughts on that which is good and right and true and beautiful and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. So the world around us tells us that these things, that we're just not living in the real world, but it is the real world. There's a, a chorus to this song that says that God's love would so fill our soul that it would be like an echo in the world. God calls us to be a light in the darkness, not a party to it. So let's take this song and let's fill all of our rooms, all of our worship centers at every one of our campuses with the truth that we can focus on what is right and holy and good and let the echo of God resound across our church like a light in the darkness, God's goodness in us.